I don't know how this sermon's going to go this morning. <laughs> it, if you're new here, usually like I'm really animated and all over the place and usually start off with a funny personal joke or anecdote and then we dive into the scriptures and that kind of stuff. And today is just one of those days where it's just like I feel like the whole morning um, God just kept rewriting the sermon, which is not normal at all. Um, and so it might stink. Real talk, it, it might not be the best message you've ever heard. Um, and I couldn't care less. Here's why. It's, you know, the phrase, I couldn't care less is pretty funny because has anyone, you ever, is it your pet peeve when someone says, I could care less? Right? It's, I couldn't care less. If you could care less, then you care something, right? You care, some level of care is in there, right? And we all mess up these phrases. One of the phrases that um, I used to mess up, uh, I'm not going to tell you the phrase yet, I found out in my last church organization, years before starting Fervent Church, I was the interim pastor at this other church in, um, around the way. And I remember leading my first staff meeting, and in my first staff meeting, they were, they were, um, they had this bad habit of not submitting their reports on time. And being that I was, it's, all right, this is, I'm the lead pastor now. I got I to gotta say something. I can't let them disrespect me like that. And so I slammed my hand down and I said, guys, I want to nip this in the butt right now. And they're like, why are you laughing? We need to nip it in the butt right now. These reports need to be submitted every Monday. And then they all started laughing at me. So it made me want to choke slam everyone in the room. And they were like, with all due respect, which nothing ever good happens after this phrase, with all due respect. With all due respect, Pastor Mike, it's not nip it in the butt. It's nip it in the bud. No one wants to get nipped in the butt. Uh, oh, okay. Regardless, submit the reports, right? All this time, my whole entire life, no one's ever corrected me. I was just nipping butts my whole life. And the phrase is not nip it in the butt, it's nip it in the bud, because when, you, when it comes to a flower, if you nip it in the bud, it stops growing. And so the phrase comes from the place where if you address the issue now, it doesn't grow to a bigger issue. Aha! That's the right phrase. And I think if you've been to church for a really long time, and sometimes my sermons are really inclusive, like it's for people who um, aren't in church and for people who are in church. And, but today, if I'm honest, I'm going to break a rule of mine. And I, I just want to talk to us as a church. And, and, and if you're new to church, um, just absorb this and listen to this. But there's a phrase that we say a lot. We've said a lot the last few decades, maybe even a century even. Um, and it's the phrase revival, right? We want to pray for revival. And just like nip it in the butt, I'm wondering, are we saying that right? Is that the right phrase for what we really desire? Or is it just, we're so used to praying for revival um, that it just comes out as a, as a need of ours. Revival. I went back and I looked at the definition of revival. And revival, it, it implies a return to a former state of vitality. That's the word revival means. Revival also means to restore to life, to bring back to life, to regain 
life. So when we cry out for revival, we're basically admitting that we either, we're either dead or something is dying. Y'all follow me? That's the cry for revival. And, and in my short time on this planet, I've experienced a lot of revivals. I experienced, you know, um, the revival in the 90s. It was called Azusa Street. In, 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 no, I'm not Azusa Street. It was called uh, Brownsville in Pensacola, that revival. And I experienced in 1995 to 2000, the, the Toronto Blessing is what they called it. And there was this revival up there in Toronto where people would travel and go to these churches to experience the presence of God. And historically speaking, there was a revival in the early 1900s called the Second Great Awakening. And that was a time where even during that revival, like, things were changing. They were, they were fighting for those who were marginalized, and they were fighting against racism and sexism and all those other things. And, and time after time, we continue to see revival after revival after revival. And if the terminology is correct, if revival means to restore life, to regain life. When anything goes from death to life, it should look different. It should change. So recently, if anyone has been paying attention to the news, there is a current revival at Asbury University. Uh, raise your hand if you are aware of this revival. Many of you are. And if you're not, uh, let me catch you up. Here's a quick two-minute video on what's going on uh, today in Asbury. Check out this video. Isn't that beautiful? It really is. I, it's beautiful. But I, I want to have a conversation today. That's why the sermon's going to suck, because it's going to be more of a conversation. And the conversation is this. Um, but before we, we go into the conversation, look to the person next to you and say, Pastor Mike's not against revivals. All right. I, I, need you, I need you to hold on to that because some of you are going to be like, oh, I guess he doesn't like revivals after this, um, which is not true. I, I'm not against revivals at all. I think what is happening there is beautiful and powerful. Let me say it again. I think what is happening there is beautiful and powerful. But my question that I want us all to wrestle with is this. We keep longing for revival and praying for revival, and revival looks really special. And the temptation, and I've watched my other pastor friends want to do the same. The temptation is to copy and paste what's happening there and put it, at, put it here. That's the temptation. But I think we can get there from a different route by asking ourselves a question, not how can we get revival, but I think the better question is that why do we keep on redying? Because to revive means to bring back to life, right? So, like, why is it that from the second awakening all the way to the early 1900s to now, why is it that the church is still struggling with racism? Why are we still struggling politically? Why are we still struggling, struggling with sexism? Why are we still having the worship wars? What songs can you do in church? What songs are this? Why, why are we still wrestling with the pettiness? Because, again, if you're going from death to life, it should look different. And not only should it look different, it should stay different. So my question is, again, I'm not hating on revivals. 
I'm not. My question that I want us all to wrestle with is why do we keep on redying? We ask for reviving because we keep on redying. Why? Why is it that like every church goes through something called the life cycle where there's a there's an incline, there's a recline, and there's a decline. And some of you have been with us for fervent 10 years, but if you were with some of the other churches that we've adopted along the way for decades even, and you have sat front row to the incline, the recline, and the decline. The incline, the recline, and the decline. And again, who God has set free is free through and through. Right? That's what we believe. That's our faith. So again, I'm not against what's happening over there in Kentucky, right? I, I, I'm not jumping in my car, though, and going to Kentucky. It's number one, I don't know how many Puerto Ricans are in Kentucky. <laughs> I want to know that my people are in proximity. But number two, I, I want to learn, God, you are a multitasking God. If you're doing powerful things there, then you could do powerful things here. And we don't have to copy and paste anything because he wants to uniquely touch the hearts of you today. So, yeah, let's keep on praying for revival, but let's, let's, let's wrestle with the question, why do we keep on redying? Every single time that God breathed on our country, why are we still struggling with the crap that we're still struggling with? Why do we, why do we continue to, why, let me say this, why do we continue to try to disciple people we hate? Why aren't we filled with more compassion? Why is the church more divided than ever politically? And if, before you write me the email, no, we're not a woke church. We're an awake church. We, we, we're trying to stay awake. And what we do is we don't determine our theology based on our politics. We determine our politics based on our theology. And we allow what the scriptures dictate. So we're not, I believe a kingdom of God church doesn't trust uh, doesn't put all their trust in governments. We put all our trust in Jesus. All right? So we're fighting for certain legislations and all that other stuff. And I would love to make it a moot point. They could do whatever they want. As for us, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to adopt more people into serving the Lord so that suicides can decrease. Divorce can decrease. Abortions can decrease. Marginalized people will be cared for. I want people, the church should rise up to the place where the government doesn't even need welfare anymore because that is the responsibility of the church. And that crosses over both aisles, if I'm honest with you. So this is not a political message at all, but I'm asking us to wrestle with the question, why is it, why is it that we keep on coming right back to this spot where we're longing for something, ready for this one, that God wants to give us? He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And our prayer is to revive us. Our prayer is to give us life, Jesus, and my man's up there going, I'm trying. In fact, I already gave it to you. So maybe the question is, why do we keep on redying? And as we're learning from other revivals, um, I want us to get to the question of, and again, I'm not hating on what's happening in Asbury, but can you follow me for a second? Can you go with me? Can you jump on the train? That's beautiful and powerful. But it's not miraculous. And what I mean by that is like, 
Christians coming together and worshiping God, it's not a head scratcher. Right? And you heard them, like other Christian colleges are now coming together and worshiping God. Any parent in here is like, hey, you know, are you going to thank me? I threw out the trash. That's what you're supposed to do. No, I'm not thanking you. That's what you're supposed to contribute to the family. You're supposed to take on responsibilities in this house. No, I'm not thanking you for throwing out the trash. That's what you're supposed to do. And I think for sometimes we're like, oh, look at us, God. We're Christians worshiping you. That's what you're supposed to do. And again, what... It's beautiful and it's powerful, but what's miraculous is what if we got, what if a revival broke out at Rutgers University that wasn't a Christian college? What if, what if a revival broke out at Virtual Hospital with some of you who work at the hospital? What if a revival broke out there? Not only is it beautiful and powerful, that's miraculous. Come on. What if a revival broke out in your homes? What if a revival was there where, where, where you couldn't stop the worship happening in your house. What if revival broke out in our youth group? That, again, what's happening there is beautiful. Christians coming together and worshiping. I'm not downgrading it at all. But what I'm asking us to do is to upgrade the possibilities of what God can do here at Fervent Church. And us coming together and even experiencing revival on a Sunday morning... If I'm honest with you, I think from a heavenly perspective, it's not impressive. What would be impressive is if we actually start spreading revival in unreached areas that are right next door. Because when I look at the first revival in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and I'm just going to read it um, together, and and it's not going to be up on the screen, but I just want to highlight something. So this is like here in, in, in the book of Acts first two chapters, we see this explosion. This, this is what I would deem as the first post-Jesus revival. Jesus was with them, and, and he was teaching them, and, and there's something powerful that happens here in Acts chapter 1 and 2 um, that I think we could learn from in regards to what it really takes to have a revival and then to stay in revival. So he starts it off in, in verse 3. He said, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let me stop right there. Jesus, ultimate teacher, way better teacher than I'll ever be, is teaching the kingdom of God for 40 days. That's an intense course on the kingdom of God, okay? I think that needs to be the bedrock of any revival is the kingdom of God. We're, We're here to see the kingdom of God expand. We're not here to build our own castle. And what I mean by that is, like, we need to stop this whole lowercase c focus in our church. I've been challenging uh, our other location in Seoul that when we get into the huddles, we're praying for all the churches in our areas. And I even say even the churches we don't like. Because we're not here to build our castle. We're here to see the kingdom of God advance. And so we spent some time the last few Sundays praying for churches all in our area. Because I think the bedrock of a revival is on the teachings of the kingdom of God. And we have a long way to go because the perfect teacher taught it for 40 days. And so he teaches the kingdom of God and then he says, and while saying this, 
with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's saying this, do not go past this point in history on your own power. Do not go past this point, just, okay, now I got it. I learned about the kingdom of God. That's not enough. He said this, don't move on your own power. Don't go to any other town. Wait right here until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so they all came together and then they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, they were just still fixated on Israel. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the season that the father has fixed on his own authority. And then watch this. He says, you're focused on the timeline. I, I, I'm, I could care less. Couldn't care less about that. He gave us Acts 1.8. Don't worry about the timeline. You got to read things in context sometimes because it even makes it more powerful. Because then he says, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He says, don't worry about the timeline. Worry about what I've given you and steward what I've given you. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when he had said these things... And then as they were looking on, he lifted up in a cloud, took them from their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way, just as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to come back in style. And so this is what he left. And he says, okay, wait, wait for this. And then you know, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole chapter for you, but then he goes into, they go into the selection of a new leader because Judas, who betrayed Jesus, committed suicide. And so they said, hey, we need to replace his office is what the Bible says. So there's something about the necessity of proper authority, the necessity of unity within a team in order to sustain revival. And, and so they replaced them. And then uh, I love this point. This is interesting. As Peter was there leading them uh, in, in verse 15, it says the company of the persons was about 120 people. It was 120 people at this time in the church. Lock that down for a second. If we jump to chapter 2, now comes the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost, the reason they call it Pentecost is because it comes from the Greek word, the 50th. After 50 days after Jesus resurrected, 50 days after Easter, seven weeks, right after the 49th day, 50 days, they're waiting for this promise. They're waiting. They're being obedient in the waiting. And then all of a sudden, this crazy event happens. And it says, and suddenly... I think that's a word for some people. Jesus is going to promise you, hey, hold on tight. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you something. And then we read the word suddenly. And for all of us, like, yo, 50 days is a long time to wait. Right? So I can't even wait 50 minutes for my DoorDash. These dudes waited 50 days for this promise from Jesus. I just feel to step out for a second and say, whatever God has promised you, just wait for your suddenly moment. Just wait for your suddenly moment. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. 
It says that suddenly there came from heaven like a, a loud mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this is where I think revivals fall short because it's all about us, right? It's all about us. It's all about us. No, 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 sir. Here's what the Holy Spirit empowered you to do. You ready for this one? And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this time, the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these men speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, in our own native language, we hear this. We hear them talking about the glories and the mighty works of God. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? They're, the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak the works of God in other people's languages. Can we go back to that for a second? Because we always want to talk about us. But the church is us. And together, the church, we're designed to reach them. We leave it at us. And it's not just about us. The Holy Spirit didn't come for us to have dope services. The Holy Spirit didn't come for us to feel the goosebumps when they hit the crescendo on the song. The Holy Spirit came and empowered them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the moment we keep it just about us is the moment we kill revival. And I've watched it happen. And listen how it slowly happened. They're traveling to one specific college. So they're going inward when the Holy Spirit has called us to go outward. And so let's study it. Let's watch it. And then my man Pete gets up there. He starts preaching. We love it. And then verse 41. So those who received his words were baptized and they were added to the day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. That's a revival. To go from 120, did I read that wrong? To go from 120 to 3,000. And again, I couldn't care less about the numbers. I care more about the mighty work of God happening through the life of the people. That's how revival, revival isn't sustained just on the shoulders of the pastors. It's sustained by the disciples in the congregation. As they're reaching out and those added, they were baptized and they were added 3,000 and then so you would think that's enough, right? The end, amen. Let's wrap this up. That's how you sustain revival. But here's the important part. And forgive me for being graphic, but I, I think this paints the picture. It wasn't just a spiritual one-night stand. And I think oftentimes why we kill revivals is because it just becomes an event. It becomes a spiritual one-night stand with Jesus, and the next morning, we go back to our usual lives. We jump in the Uber, and we go home. And this is where we see how did this explosion in the early church continue? I think it's right there in verse 42, and it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. And all, everybody say all. And all came upon every soul. 
and all came about every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributings and proceeds as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. It went beyond just a spiritual one-night stand. It went beyond just a moment. And we all do that. I know I do it. I have my own life. I have these peaks with God, and then I also have these valleys where I forget about him. And I watch it happen in people's lives all the time. When do you find Jesus again? On the way to divorce court. When do you find Jesus again? On my way to prison. When do you find Jesus again? On my way to the hospital. And we condition our walk to be based on trauma and crisis rather than being devoted daily. Hello. And I'm not, no shade. I'm not shaming you. I'm not guilting you. I'm telling you, I'm in that same boat as well. The times where I'm on my knees or the times when I need to be on my knees. But what would it look like if I could not just treat these moments with Jesus as a spiritual one-night stand, but an actual passionate devoted relationship with Jesus. I think that is the key to true revival. So what keeps us, I want you to wrestle with the question, what keeps us redying? And, and then the question that before we close service, I want everyone, everyone to answer this question. If you're not willing to do the work, if you want to just do your own thing, that's on you. But I'm giving us all, making room, giving us all the responsibility to ask yourself this question. What would it take what would it take for you to have a personal revival in your life? What would it take for you to have a personal revival in your life? And to not wait for the crisis. Ask yourself today, what would it take for you to have a personal revival? Because, again, we've all had those peaks and valleys. Right now I could sit there and ask you all, what was the times where you were so on fire for Jesus? What was the time where they, they couldn't stop you from worshiping him? What was the time where you would have gotten in a car and drove all the way to Kentucky just to worship with some people just as passionate as you? When, was that, when did you feel that way? There was probably one moment in your life where you felt that way. And I'm not asking you to go backwards. I'm asking you to go forward from that point and ask yourself, what would it take? What do I need to do? What do I need to give up? What do I need to pick up in order for me to have a personal revival again in my life? Because if everyone in this room can have a personal revival, then collectively we will have a church revival. Collectively we could put South Jersey on its head for Jesus. But I don't, I don't want to facilitate it just on a Sunday. I want you to facilitate it in your personal lives. Y'all getting this? I told you this message was going to suck. But we're going to learn. Because you can teach what you know. Let me stop real quick because some of you are like, I've read Acts 1 and 2. You know, I read the Bible cover to cover. From Genesis to Revelation, I got you. I know. And some of you are going to know all the things you're gonna, I'm going to say right now. I respect that. You can teach what you know, but catch this. The reason that revival is contagious, there's not even that much teaching going on. You teach what you know, but you can only reproduce who you are. 
You only reproduce who you are. So you could t- I, could, you, I could teach you what does passionate living look like for Jesus. It doesn't matter. You reproduce who you are. It's for us to get it. Not just get it, but get it in here because that's how you reproduce who you are. So if I wanted to kill revival here at Fervent Church, I would do a few things. I would, I would allow unconfessed sin to live here. And you notice that what started the revival was that there was this corporate repentance. And, 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 and I've watched this happen in Toronto where it, it's easy to, to, you know, especially college kids, you know, they're all struggling with lust. Tell the truth, shame the devil, right? <laughs> You know, when that one person, like, have you ever been to a Christian school and they raise their hand and they're like, unspoken, he's struggling with lust. You know, like, this is the easy layup. And that's the easy one. It's easy to confess the sins of stealing or confess the sins of lying. And we all have this hierarchy of sin, which shouldn't be a hierarchy. But, but I think where revival dies is where we get to the place where we're oblivious to those internal sins that aren't as tangible as stealing, lying, hating, dishonoring. Those intangible ones of like religious pride. Those intangible ones of, of sedition where like you, you're really not living a life surrendered to God as your authority and you're just doing it your own way, you know. I was talking to some teens this week and we we're talking about, you know, the, the Cinderella license, the rule is that you can't drive past 11. Youth, who breaks that rule your first year? I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to look at you. Can't drive past 11 p.m. And some of them are like, that's just a stupid rule. It's just stupid. Like, I earned my license. I passed the test. I should just drive whenever I want to drive. So you don't have to abide by that rule if it doesn't make sense to you. Yup. So you're really not under authority. You're under your logic. And for us to identify, there are some times where we're not under authority. We only do things that make sense to us. And that's just the American way, right? We stick it to the man. If it doesn't make sense to me, then I'm going to do me. However, I think this sense of sedition, and that means just internal rebellion, external agreement, internal rebellion, I think that's a sin that sometimes goes overlooked in the church more than anything. Where Jesus takes it to the other degree where it's like, yes, you heard it say, thou shalt not murder. But if you hate your brother or sister in your heart, you're equal to the murderer. That internal hate that we have. For us to address that. And again, it's those unconfessed sins. Not the confessed ones. Good for you. You confess the big ones. But I'm talking about those little ones. The Bible says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. And after a while, I think that eats up the harvest of revival that God has for us. When you don't catch yourself in your religious pride, you know. Just take a look. Like I was scrolling on TikTok and you have, you ever been down the Christian TikTok hole? And there's some TikToks out there that are like celebrating the revival. And there's some Christian TikToks that are crapping on the revival, you know. And I'm just like, pause for a second, guys. Like, <laughs> I have a hard enough time discerning people that are close to me, let alone judging somebody far away. I'm not going to judge what God is doing over there. I just need to be a steward of what's in front of us. What about the possible revival here at Fervent Church? 
and to focus on that, but you got to catch themselves that that's that religious pride that comes in and robs us of the opportunity for life. Y'all getting this? I think the other thing that, that kills us from, that kills revival is self-reliance. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we could depend on him, but the more we start self-relying on ourselves, and, and there are times where as God continues to grow, you need to create systems, and I'm not anti-systems. I think systems and processes help us steward what God has provided. Y'all agree with that? I couldn't care less if you didn't agree with it, but I think it's true. Systems help us steward what God has provided. But when we're self-reliant, what we're trying to do is we're trying to develop a system to produce the things that we want from God, right? And, and I think what kills revival is that all of a sudden we put the system there and we create formulas and we don't let God lead anymore and we become self-reliant. Again, I'm not anti-systems and I'm not anti-revival. What I am saying is this, is that we can't be self-reliant. We have to be Holy Spirit reliant if we want God to continue to bring life into our churches. The other thing is lack of prayer. And again, you know the difference. All of us feel like we could pray more, but there's a difference between I'm not praying enough and I'm not praying at all. And you'd be surprised of how, if we actually start confessing how many Christians we don't pray, we think. Right? Hey, I'll be praying for you. No, you ain't. You think about it. But this lack of prayer, I think, kills revival. I'm not trying to condemn. We all struggle with this. I think complacency kills revival. When you come here every single Sunday, this is how you know you're complacent. And, and I sometimes have to shake myself off with this too. You're complacent when you come here every Sunday and you go, all right. I know the routine, I know the structure, I'm just gonna come in and leave, do my thing and go on with my day. And there's not a sense of expectancy. We're complacent. Because for us to encounter the presence of God and walk away the same, that's complacency. Again, how can we encounter life and walk away not different, not shift, nothing shifted, nothing changed? Still struggling. And again, it's okay to have a problem. Let's just have a new one every Sunday. But it's this complacency that robs us of revival. And the last one, I think, is a lack of unity. Early in, the, in, the, in Acts 2, it says that they were all together in one accord, and it wasn't a Honda. <laughs> Stupid. They were all together in unity. And we're so fixated on like, yo, are you, are you, are you anti-vax or pro-vax? Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Are you this or are you that? You know? Are you pro-big church, small church? Are you pro-Bethel Hillsong or anti-Bethel Hillsong? And we just continue to spread this unity and, and we're okay with it. Let's stop being okay with it. Because you could disagree without being disagreeable. We, we don't have to, and I'm not asking for uniformity, I'm asking for unity. I'm not asking you to look like me and talk like me, dress like me. I'm asking you to be you, do you. But we can still have harmony together and maintain unity because that's the beauty of the body of Christ. So ultimately, I'll wrap up with saying this, that revival is a work from God. But... It does require your participation in your submission. 
And I will say this. God's going to work. He's going to move. He's going to move. So some of you are like, then why do I need to participate? God's going to move for sure. But it's my responsibility to decide whether I'm going to move with him. And my desire as your pastor is to not allow you to miss out on the opportunity to move with God. Because guess what? Some of you, you're tired, you're empty. And this is why, because you're trying to do life apart from him. And the Bible says that apart from him, you can do nothing. So what would it look like to start doing life with him? Worship team, you could come up. So here's what I'm going to ask everyone to do. Is if you have a notebook, where are the holy people at with your notebooks? If not, get your digital notes out. I want you to spend some time in the presence of God asking that question. What would it take for you personally? What would it take for you to have personal revival in your life? And write it down. Don't just think, I got it in my head. I got you, Pastor Mike. It's in my head. No, I'm asking you. No, I'm telling you. Write it down. Do some work with the Holy Spirit. Write it down. What would it take for you to have a personal revival in your life? For some of you, it's going to be, Yo, I finally need to get this off my chest and I need to confess this thing that's, that's entrapped me for way too long and I need to get accountability. For some of you, it's going to be, you know what, I need to stop flirting with this, my secretary and I need, I need to stop flirting with that coworker and I need to have accountability. For some of you, it's going to be that you really... Is that me? You? Hey? Devil, you're a liar. All right. For some of you, it's going to be feedback. Whatever's just, that's it. For some of you, it's removing a distraction. Come on, somebody. What a layup. Whatever it is, you just, let's do the work together. What's stopping you from having a personal revival in your life? I think it's important. And again, it's not the most uplifting sermon. Come back next week. Invite your friends next week. I'm going to leave my heart out on the dance floor next week. I'm going to give it. And I'm going to bring it. But for today, let's wrestle with that question. Because if not, what are we doing? For real, what are we doing? I don't want to waste your time. What are we doing if we're not having a personal revival in our lives? Amen? So let me pray for you and uh, spend some time writing it down. And as soon as you're done, let's stand up and join the worship team singing this song. But let me pray for you. Father, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us, help us pen uh, those personal answers of what would it take? What would it take for us to have personal revival? I feel in my spirit that some of us, we need to like, honestly, kind of crucify our personality. Some people are just like, it's just my personality. I'm just not a person that's, that raises their hands and, and, and goes all in that way. I'm more reserved. But maybe that's stopping us from having a personal revival, God. For some of us, maybe we're just under our logic and not really under your authority. That help us to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. For some of us, we need to put our marriages 
up on the priority list. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm afraid to say this, God, but like for some of us, it might require just letting you just become a part of our finances. For some of us, we're just self-reliant even with our finances. And, and Lord, you know my heart. This is not a, a gimmick to increase church giving, but this is a plea for freedom, God, in all areas of our lives. For some of us, Lord, we might have to downgrade our phones and get a flip phone and simplify some things, God, in order for us to have a personal revival. Holy Spirit, lead us to our own individual unique answers and help us engage with you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen.